It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. You're tuned into Christian Questions. Join the conversation now on air or online at ChristianQuestions.com and download our app by searching for Christian Questions Radio. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Edmund Burke once said, One that confounds good and evil is an enemy to good. Good evening, everyone. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And I'm Jonathan, and that different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue. Always done in a politically free zone. Thanks for joining us this evening. This is a call in format. We are caller friendly. So let's get started. Good evening, Jonathan. What's going on? What's happening? What's new? What's exciting? <laughs> well, Rick, the Lord is good. That I do know. All right. Well, that's a good place to start. That's always... And our question for this evening is, who is Satan? And our theme text is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So the question, as you said, is who is Satan? And really, this ends up being a conversation about good and evil. Now, throughout history, there's always been a battle between good and evil. And for many who hold a religion as sacred, this battle does have its leaders. As Christians, we embrace God Almighty as the unequivocal creator and leader of all that is good and righteous. And we see Satan as the, ca- the captain of the dark forces that stand against God. So, that brings to mind an important question. Just, who is Satan? Is he a real being? And if he is, how did he get to be so evil? Now think about this. If God created all that is good, then how could God have created Satan, the father of darkness? Does Satan come from God? Or does Satan come from someplace else? Did God, could God, have made a mistake. A lot of good questions, Rick. And it, it's a very relevant question because there are many, many in, in our world today who question the existence of God, uh, of Satan rather. Not, they do the existence of God, but it's certainly the existence of Satan as a being rather than just a principle of evil. So well, we, we firmly believe that Satan is real, right? Absolutely, positively. Let's start with that. We believe that Satan is real. We believe that Satan is alive, and Satan is a great source of danger and destruction. We firmly believe that God created the being who became Satan, and that in spite of the diabolical influence of Satan on this world, God actually does have everything under his own ultimate control. So that just puts it out right there, right at the very beginning. That's the way we see it. That's what we believe. That's what drives us is believing that God did, in fact, create the being who became Satan. So you got to ask the question, did God create a flawed being for Satan to become so totally 
incomprehensibly dark and evil. You know, Jonathan, going through this as a study, it, it's a it's a sobering study in some ways because it's it's a it's really it's really about a spiritual tragedy as we're going to see. But it's also a study that's very revealing, helping us understand really what we think actually did happen way back, long, long ago. Now, the interesting thing about this subject, Rick, is this is not going to be a gory, gruesome subject, even though the title is Satan, who was Satan, right? right? Yeah, yeah. You know, oftentimes when we do programs on trying to figure out Satan, they're very dark, and, yes. and they're scary, and they're kind of creepy. Uh, this is not going to be that way, because we're looking at Satan trying to go back long, long, long ago and see it from a whole different perspective. So to start, we're going to start with something a little bit dark and spooky, <laughs> just like you said we're not going to. <laughs> but we're going to do this just to give us a, a second perspective, if you will. We're going to be going to some sound bites from a, uh, an Australian documentary by Siren Visual called The History of the Devil. And this is just going to introduce the idea of Satan. And, it, you know, it, it goes through some of the, the creepiness that we generally look at and think about when we think of Satan in our world. Lucifer, Beelzebub, the beast, Satan. Hail Satan. When you say Satan to me, I think God. He has been called many names. He has taken many strange and different forms. The idea of God's evil enemy has been around for thousands of years. And it's still as powerful as ever. But where did Satan's story begin? Where did he come from? And how did he become the Prince of Darkness? Well, those last few questions that he asked are the very, very questions that we want to get into and we want to discuss uh, this evening. So we're going to start with that. We're going to start with trying to figure out the origin of Satan, this dark and evil being. And, and Jonathan, I want to make, you know, let's, let's make no mistake about it. Satan is dark and Satan is really the personification of evil. Yes, he is. Okay, so, I mean, we're, we're, not, we're not equivocating on that. No. At all. That, that's, a, that's, a, that's a given. That's a firm, firm statement. So to know Satan, who Satan is now, we need to understand who Satan was beforehand. Now, how can we know this? How can we know who Satan was way back when? Well, by, Jonathan, remember the old the, the, the children's song, Jesus Loves Me? Yeah, the Bible tells me so. That's right. And yeah. that applies here. It helps us understand the origin uh, of Satan. So we're going to find several clues as we go through scriptures and reasoning. So what's the first clue that we're going to uncover here? Well, Rick, it's Satan is identified by his pre-Satan title. Okay, so what would that be? Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 14, and we're just going to touch on verse 12. We're actually going to come back to this verse uh, in, in, uh, in a little while. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. So, Jonathan, you, you read that, how you've fallen from heaven. But let's focus on the next phrase, O star of the morning. Now, in the King James Version, it doesn't quite read that way. No, it doesn't. It reads Lucifer right. in it, the King James. It gives a name. Yes. And, and the name Lucifer does mean morning star. 
Okay, so when, right. when we look at this, when we look at this particular word, that's exactly what it means, morning star. So you have an actual name um, given to what we believe was the, the original being who became dark and evil, who became Satan. So Lucifer, when you think of Lucifer, again, in our world, in our conjurings of Satan, you hear the name Lucifer and you think darkness and evil and disgust and despicability. I don't know if but that's a word. But. It really wasn't that way. No. It was a bright and early light in the heavens is really describing what that word Lucifer means. Right. And, and so that's the first, that's the beginning of the misconception here in dealing with, with Satan. You hear the name Lucifer and you're right. It meant bright, big, beautiful, glorious. That's what it really meant. That's what Lucifer was all about. So like you said... It was a bright, and, you know, it talks about being a morning star. Right. What, what's the implication of a, you know, a morning star? Isn't it? Uh, go ahead. Is I don't know. What, what do you think? Well, well, isn't it something, if it's a morning star, it's like an early star? Sure. Okay. So perhaps it's giving us an indication that this was an early brightness that was created by God. Early in his whole creation, right. his whole uh, development of the spiritual uh, nature. Yeah. So, as we look at Satan in his pre-satanic state, what we can see so far is bright, glorious, wonderful, and very, very early in the creative process. We're going to get back to that in a few more minutes, but uh, that gives us a sense of where Satan comes from. So that's the first clue. Folks, if you have a thought, we're talking about Satan and his origin and what happened. We'd love to hear from you at 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Monday evenings from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we are on right now. And don't forget, if you don't have an app for your smartphone, you can go to your app store and type in Christian Questions Radio. And you can also um, type in your, your message to us while we're on the air. So you can send us a message through the app uh, for the program, and if we can, we'll get those messages uh, on, on the program with us uh, tonight. So we've got that first clue, Satan's identified by his pre-Satanic title as Lucifer. What's the second scriptural clue? Satan's pre-Satanic life is put in perspective. Okay, so let's do that by looking at the book of Job. Now, remember the experiences of Job. Job was a very godly man, and in the beginning of Job, Satan actually appears before God and says, hey, you know, God says, hey, where, are you, where have you been? And Job says, yeah, I've been you know, walking around on the earth, and uh, I saw this guy, Job, and, you know, he looks pretty faithful, but that's because you give him everything. You know, because God said, hey, have you seen my servant Job? He's pretty good. And Satan says, well, no, not really. Well, if you take everything away, then what will he be like? Right. So God yeah. says, okay, you can test him. So God allows that to happen. So the book of Job is about the testings and trials of Job. Toward the end of the book of Job, God is speaking now to Job. And Job was tending toward feeling sorry for himself and kind of looking at himself in, a, in sort of a proud way. And God is basically saying to Job, look. Okay, you want, it, you want to talk about who knows what in life? You know, you think you know what's going on? Do you know what I know? Were you around when I was around? He's saying, okay, man up, Job. Let's, let's talk about this. So in Job 38, verses 3 to 7, this is God speaking to Job, and he's challenging him. 
Be a man. Answer these questions. Let's see what you got. Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. Now think about that. God's saying, okay, I'm going to ask you. Now you, and you tell me the answers. Let's see, let's see, let's see what you've got. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who set its measures, since you know? Or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So, God is going way, way back, and he's saying, okay, man up, Job. You know, you think you know a lot. Answer these questions. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? And when he says the earth... That's the literal planet we're talking right, right. about, right? The physical, physical water and dirt and all of the things about the physical earth. When I laid the foundation of the physical earth, when I conceived of the idea, the laying of the foundation is almost kind of like an architect rolling out the plans. Yes, definitely sounds that way. Because he's saying, I laid the foundation, where, uh, you know, where were you? Who set its measurements? Who figured right. out its size? Who figured out where it belongs? Who, Who stretched out the line? <laughs> right. Who figured out what it would hang upon? Were you there when I did all of those things? So he's going back to the time when the earth was being planned. So God had a plan for the earth. You know, we did, we did a program a couple of weeks ago about does science prove the existence of a creator? Yes. And we had David Stein on with us. And folks, if you haven't listened to that one, you have to. You just have to because you have to. You have to listen to that. It's awesome. It is because it gives you a real sense of the depth of ingenuity and creativity and design and mathematics that went into the creation of the earth. And that's what God is saying here. I had a plan. Were you there when I laid out that plan before all of the heavenly host? And he says in this, he said, you know, uh, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now, in the previous verse in Isaiah, didn't we talk about Lucifer being a morning star? star. Yeah, absolutely, Rick. So you've got morning stars here. Now, this is a slightly different word. What, what does it mean, morning stars? Well, the word morning means morning or break of day, and the word star means star or figuratively a prince. Okay. So, again, it talks about morning stars plural here. Yes, plural, not singular. And the idea is if it's a morning star, perhaps it was an early creation of God glory that was created. It was something glorious. It was something beautiful. And now in Job, God is revealing that there's more than one of these morning stars. And, and Rick, it sounds to me like they're special, uh, a little bit more special than the sons of God, which we know really are angels. Okay. That and we're shouting for joy. Right. So what you have here in this scripture is complete and total harmony in the heavens. Yes. You have the morning stars, these, and you're Prince, right. Princes, almost. Probably higher in the rankings amongst the heavenly host. Mm -hmm. And then you have the rest of the heavenly host, the sons of God, and they are all shouting for joy. I mean, you think about this, Jonathan, and it could be that, you know, they're, they're, they're seeing these plans for this, this planet that's going to have actual physical life, and they're going... Did you see what God came up? Come over here. You're not going to believe how awesome this is. I mean, and you know, this is my imagination running wild, okay? <laughs> I admit it. But, but, you know, there's got to be this incredible excitement throughout the whole heavenly host. Like, 
He's got something new up his sleeve. Look at this. This is great. And the key is that the morning stars sang together. So In they, harmony. Right. There was perfect, complete, and total harmony at that point in time. And I think that's very, very significant here. All right. So the next question obviously would be, if there's more than one morning star, do we know anything about any other morning stars? Oh, good question. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> because we do. We do know something because Jesus reveals himself as another morning star. Let's look at Revelation 22:16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. So he says Jesus talks about himself in three different ways in that scripture. He says, I am the root of David. What, what would that mean? The Lord of David. Because the root is where David would have come from. Yes. Okay, so I am the Lord over David. And then he says, I'm the descendant of David. What's he talking about there? Of the line that Messiah was to come from. And if you remember, Jesus asked the Pharisees that one time, you know, you know if, if the Messiah comes after David, how is it that David calls him Lord? And they couldn't, they couldn't answer? <laughs> That's right. And, and Jesus is saying, I'm both the originator of David, the root, and I come from him because I came to earth as a human being. And then he says, I am also the bright morning star. The shining brilliance of the beginning of the creation of God. So what we see at this point are two things. We see that there was perfect harmony when the earth was being founded, when it, when it was on the drawing board, when the creation of earth had begun. There was perfect harmony, and there was more than one morning star. Lucifer was one, and the Logos, Jesus, was the other. And when we take these things and we put them together, what we have is a magnificent picture of something that happened early on that probably we don't think about so much. We don't take the time to say, hey, this is what it was like long before. So, Rick, Rick, I like the point that Jesus says, I was the bright morning star, meaning I think the closest to God at the beginning of creation, you know, the, the yeah. most brilliant of the angelic realm, his son, Jesus. And, and I think that that fits very, very well and very, very clearly with the picture. There were these two special creations in the heavenly host, Jesus in his pre-human existence being one and Lucifer being the other. So we have a good beginning to figure out his origin. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject, who is Satan? Coming up. So if all was good, God-honoring and glorious, how did darkness and evil prevent? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today, who is Satan? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL, or you can message us on your app. 
So we're talking about the origin of Satan, and so far, Jonathan, what we found out is that Lucifer uh, was a bright morning star. He was a special and most likely early creation of God. He was a star of the morning, Rick. And he was in perfect harmony when the earth was being founded. That's what we know thus far. Let's take a, a moment. Let's go back to the SBS Australia documentary on the history of the devil and just get a little bit more. You know, they say some things in this documentary that we, that we agree with and some things that we think are, are just a lot of tradition and some things that are just plain old hogwash. But anyway, <laughs> but that's okay. That's all good. You know, it's a different perspective. And it's there to just to give us a, a sense of looking at things differently. So let's just take a, take a listen here uh, to their perspective on Lucifer as God's servant. More than 3,000 years ago, in the deserts and pasturelands of the Middle East, unknown hands wrote the earliest chapters of the Hebrew Bible. If the devil had a birthplace, surely it was here, somewhere in the book known to Christians as the Old Testament. In the oldest books of the Bible, a character called Satan does appear, but he's nothing like the Satan we imagine. When we read the Old Testament, we find that from time to time there is this strange dark figure who pops up called the Satan. This, the word the Satan is actually a, a, a title. The word means the accuser. And to begin with, it seems that the Satan is one of the angels or attendants in the heavenly court. And so, you know, you know Jonathan, the interesting thing about that is um, they are actually referring to the circumstance of um, the, the book of Job. Mm -hmm. And they're saying that, well, you know, he really wasn't a bad guy in that in that picture. And actually, yes, he was. But that's OK. You know, the, the idea is that you get a sense of there that that there was goodness first. And that's the important thing. And that's the truth of the matter. That's the truth from what we understand. So let's go back to the book of Job for more details. Now, we've already read these scriptures, but let's um, get a sense of a little bit more uh, uh, depth in understanding the context of understanding who Satan was, where he came from, and how he ended up turning, turning bad. Uh, so again, back to Job 38, verses 3 to 7. Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who sets its measures since you know? Or uh, who stretched the line on it? Sorry, I was getting too excited. <laughs> so, so it says, and we touched on this in, in the first segment, Jonathan, but let's come back to it because this is important. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? What does it literally mean when he says laid the foundation? Because, you know, when we think of that, we think of somebody pouring concrete. Right, right. Well, in the Hebrew, it means to found, reflexively to sit down together, that is settle or consult. So the laying of the foundation in this case is an earlier action than actually pouring concrete. It's an action of laying out the plan, putting the details, consulting, talking it over, gathering information, doing the math, figuring things out, putting it in order. That's what it means when it says, I laid the foundation of the earth. And I think that's important because, again, what it shows you is if you, if you have faith in Scripture, uh, then, then you realize that God truly does have a plan. And we can see his plan 
not only for mankind and eternity like we always talk about, but go back all the other way. You see his descriptive, clear, concise plan for the actual planet in, in that description where I laid the foundation of the earth. Rick, this really pictures him, an architect, designing with blueprints the planet Earth. Yeah, yeah. If you, you, you use that imagery and you see the architect yeah. with those great big sheets of paper and, and you say, okay, here's the way the oceans are going to work. And here's the way the mountains are going to form. And, and, you know, you've got and imagine, remember the Job scripture talked about, you know, the, the joy and, and the enthusiasm around that. That because this was a very different kind of creation. And we know it's a very different kind of creation because when we look out into our own solar system, we don't see other planets like this. No, we don't. So it was, And we don't see angelic beings either, right? No, no. This is a different realm. Yes. It's a material world. God said, how about this idea? Right, and right. And the angels were thrilled. Because they didn't exist in that material realm. And exactly. so seeing something material would have been a really, truly exciting development in the plans of God. So, so God has described to Job the founding and the design and the blueprints of planet Earth. So let's go back to the Job scripture now, Job 38. Let's go to verses 6 and 7. And we read these in the first segment, but we want to get into them a little deeper now. On what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy okay so again on what were its bases sunk uh, you know what what held the earth together uh, who laid its cornerstone how did it how did it become this 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 planet to support life when the morning stars sang together and the sons of god shouted for joy so at the beginning and throughout the creation of the earth the physical planet earth jonathan there was harmony there was great joy there was excitement, all of this in this, like you said, in this, not in the physical realm, but in the spiritual realm that we really don't even understand. Right. Okay? So in this other realm, outside of the physical universe, if you will, you've got this incredible excitement through, from these creations of the Almighty God. And, you know, I, you, I always wonder, what did it look like, or what does it look like there? And, I, yeah, of course, I have no idea, but, I mean, there must be such brightness, such peace, such brilliance. And all of that had this great passion for the creative mind of the creator. So it gives you a sense of, of, of just this, this unfolding, literally, the unfolding of the universe right before their very eyes. So everything's in harmony now. Yes, God was expanding his own creativity into this other physical realm like you were talking about. And this is where life would be extraordinarily different because it was now physical and not merely spiritual. Folks, if you have a thought, we're talking about the origins of Satan. We're looking at, very carefully, looking at his pre-Satanic existence as Lucifer. We'd love to hear your thoughts or questions at 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Monday evenings from 8 to 10 Eastern. And that means we're on right now. And don't forget to check out our website and join us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. All right. Third clue. We've, we've gotten a few of the clues in place about the origin of Satan. What's next? Satan's pre-Satanic life did not stay in harmony with God. All right. Something happened somewhere. Something began a turn 
And once that turn began, it became a sharper and sharper turn as time went on. How long did that time take? Who knows? All we know is something bad went on with, with Lucifer. Lucifer did not stay on board with the plan. He began in a godly path, but he turned. And the question is, when? When would he have turned? Once the creation of the physical world was underway, and we see that happening in the Job explanation, and things were in harmony at that point. And, and Jonathan, at this point, we're going to do some, some speculating, because we really don't know exactly the whys and the wherefores and the whens, mm -hmm. but it makes sense from a studied perspective to look at it this way. Perhaps, once the creation of the physical world was underway, perhaps then God revealed the significant details of the next phase of his creative plan. And that would be how the earth would be inhabited and how it would be overseen or arranged from a heavenly perspective. So let's stop on that thought for a moment. God, in his creative ability and his creative plans, through scripture, seems to only reveal what anybody seems to need to know at the moment. That's right. He doesn't give it all away. Ever. No. And it looks like in the early, early stages with his spiritual realm, he was the same way. He would reveal one part, and perhaps, this is a little bit of speculation, perhaps he withheld the, the, the governing part of these, this human race and the animals and so forth that were going to come forth from this earth, and, and he revealed it after construction was underway. So perhaps Lucifer's new job description was laid out in this, in this new revealment, and perhaps it was here that Lucifer's heart began to turn to darkness. Because remember, at the beginning, Lucifer was all in with the plan. He was. He was. He sang. He sang in harmony. Yes. And that is such an important point. The scriptures aren't just making that up so it can be poetic. They're showing us the grandness of the harmony of all of these spiritual beings. So perhaps all of this happened after a time and, and, and we get a hint for that, a hint for that in Revelation chapter 13, uh, verse 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now, there's an interesting thing in that Revelation scripture, Jonathan. It's very similar in one phrase to the Job scripture, but it's also very different. Okay, you have the phrase, from the foundation of the world in Revelation, and in the Job scripture, it's the foundation of the earth. Mm -hmm. Okay? Okay. So, these are different words. This is New Testament, and the words have a slightly different meaning. What does the word foundation mean in this Revelation scripture, and then what does the word world mean? Because this is really important in putting a timeline together for Satan's potential turn to darkness. Foundation means founding or figuratively, conception. Okay, conception. Now, let, let's pause there for a second. Founding, figuratively, conception. It literally speaks of conception in terms of, of, of conceiving human life, for instance. Mm -hmm. So at the very beginning of a, of, a, of a creative process, that's what foundation means in this particular verse. And the foundation of the world, what does world mean? Orderly arrangement, that is decoration. Okay, so decoration, what is he, putting ornaments? <laughs> but see, the thing is that you've got the earth, 
the raw earth underway. And now God is giving the conception of the idea of how it's going to be adorned, how it's going to operate, what the arrangements are going to be to keep it harmonious with God's will. So there's two separate things happening. You have the foundation of the earth, the physical earth, and now the conception of the orderly divine arrangements for how it all will work. And that is where Lucifer would would play a role, as we will see very, very soon. But the point is here, Jonathan, you don't need a plan of salvation when all is in perfect harmony. No, you don't, because everything's perfect. Now, God knew ahead of time what direction things would go. But there was no need to reveal anything ahead of time to anybody because God works on a need-to-know basis. And when the heavenly host needed to know, God let them know. Before they needed to know, not so much. So you have Jesus was a willing and sacrificial lamb from the moment, and that's what the Revelation Scripture is talking about, from the foundation of the world, from the foundation of the orderly arrangement. He's that willing and sacrificial lamb from the moment that there was a shadow of doubt cast upon the harmony of God's creativity. So that's kind of interesting because it gives you a reason to see Satan, Lucifer, if you will, in perfect harmony. And then perhaps his job description comes to light and it gives him a cause to start to think in an ungodly manner and to think about something else. Folks, if you have a thought, we're talking about Lucifer becoming Satan, where he went wrong, and the consequences of that wrong turn. Our number is 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Monday evenings from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. And if you'd like to email us, you can email us at rick at christianquestions.com. So we're talking about the foundation of the world, and a lot of times when we think of the world, we think of the earth. Yes. But that's not the way we need to think of it scripturally. It's broader than that, you mean? Well, it's it, yes, it's, it's, it's above the earth because it's the arrangements for the earth. It's okay. not the earth itself. And we know that by other ways that that word is used in the New Testament. Let's look at Matthew twenty four twenty one. For then there will be a great tribulation, such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Again, the word world there is the foundation, or I'm sorry, the, the orderly arrangement, the godly arrangement. So there's going to be a great time of trouble, not since the beginning of the order that God put in front of the world. That's the kind of trouble that's going to happen. It's going to be unprecedented. If it, sin, and that's what happens, sin eventually brings unprecedented trouble to the orderly arrangement of God's creation. It just does. Satan, Lucifer, happened to carry that sin, which brought unprecedented trouble. That's where it started. So, again, one more scripture that talks about God's foreknowledge and again mentions the foundation of the world. Remember the Revelation scripture said that the Lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. So from the inception and the laying of the plans for the orderly arrangement, this next scripture is going to talk to us about God's foreknowledge being even bigger than that. First Peter 1, 18-20. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared to these last times for the sake of you. 
So God knew before the orderly arrangement of things was put in place what would happen, and the sacrifice of the lamb was as good as done once the orderly arrangement of things was in place. Once God announced, okay, here's the beginning of the plan for who's going to do what and how it's all going to work, that, we think, is when Satan began to turn. Because he, as we will see in the next segment, he began to see himself in a very pivotal role and began to look at the role that he was playing in terms of self-satisfaction rather than serving his creator. And that is always a dastardly situation for any of us when we look at something for, in terms of self-satisfaction rather than serving. Um, so you know, you've got to ask ourselves, what can we learn from this thus far in terms of this third clue of Satan or Lucifer not staying in harmony with God? Well, Rick, there's two points. The first, God really did know what pathway his created beings would take before they took it. He did know. Did he do something about it? He didn't have to. He waited until the proper time and then the proper thing would be done. See, God doesn't have to act ahead of time. He simply knows ahead of time and acts appropriately when the need arises. And the second point, Rick, is God clearly arranged for an eternal object lesson to be taught as a result of these choices. And that eternal object lesson is that God is all-knowing. God is all-seeing. And we must act in response to the greatness of God with our experiences, with our lives, and with our choices. And what about fatherhood? You know, we're both fathers. Yep. And we know our kids. And we know they're going to go down the wrong path now and again. And sometimes the less life lesson is better to let them go down the wrong path right. than to stop them. You see it ahead of time. You watch them go down the wrong path. And at the right time, you say, okay, let's talk about it. Let's look at it. Let's see what you can learn from it. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject is, who is Satan? Coming up, what did Lucifer's fall from grace look like? How can we know? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL, or you can message us on your app. And if you'd like to write to us, you can write us at Christian Questions, P.O. Box 1837, New London, Connecticut, 06320. All right, and we are talking about the origin of of Satan. We're talking about where did Satan come from? How could God, the great creator of all that is good, create a being that went so far bad? And Jonathan, we're getting to that point where we're seeing what the potential, well, we know what the reasons were, as we will see revealed in the next set of scriptures, um, that, that Satan began to fall or Lucifer began to fall. And you say, you say, well, how could it happen to such a high and lofty being? Let's just watch and see. Okay, let's just watch and, and, and see this unfold. 
Uh, before we get to that, though, let's go to another soundbite from the SBS Australia uh, documentary, uh, The History of the Devil. And again, they're, they're looking at trying to trace Satan through Scripture, and they're saying, well, you know, he wasn't always an evil force, and, and they're right to a degree, but I think they attribute goodness to him long after he turned very, very dark and very, very evil. This Satan has no power of his own. He does only what God tells him. Nor is he a horrible creature with horns and a tail. There's no kind of prince of darkness, somebody who's standing opposite to God. Throughout most of the text, there's no concept at all of an evil force. Uh, yeah, there is a concept of an evil force. Uh, but, you know, they, they said something interesting there that was important, and, and really the reason for that piece of the soundbite was because they're saying he doesn't have this dark, dark horns and a tail. You know, Satan it doesn't look like that. But the media pictures them like that. Right. And we always have our sense of Satan being this, this dark, evil force. Gruesome-looking, yes. Yeah. But, but you know what? It's very inaccurate. Very inaccurate indeed. And that's what makes it such part, partially such a tragedy. because He was a morning star. He was beautiful, right. radiant. Right. Yeah, that's a good word for it. He was. He had a radiance, a God-given radiance. So how did he get to the point of turning away? What's the fourth clue? Because this is where the turning starts. Satan's pre-Satanic fall was a growing, festering, and deadly thought process. So it begins in his thinking, a growing, festering, and deadly thought process. Isaiah 14, verse 12. We read this in the first uh, segment, but let's go back to it again. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. All right, let, let's take a time out here for a second because we are applying this scripture to Lucifer as the one of the great morning stars, spiritual creation of God Almighty, correct? Right, correct. Well, what if I told you the Bible doesn't describe it to be describing that? The Bible actually says that this description is of somebody else. So let's look at that. So the context, we need to check that out then. Yeah, because the context of very, is very, uh, apparently is very contradictory to what we've just been saying. So Isaiah chapter 14, let's go back earlier in the chapter, verses 3 and 4. And it will be in the day when the Lord gives you rest from your pain and turmoil and harsh service in which you have been enslaved that you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon and say how the oppressor has ceased and how fury has ceased. So right there you have the context that Isaiah is instructed to take up this taunt against the king of Babylon. So how can we make that leap that this is representing Lucifer? That, that's a pretty big leap, isn't it? It is. It's a leap. Right. And the context is instructing Isaiah to do something within his own life. Right. Well, here's the thing. Let, let's look at how prophecies actually work. Because once we understand how they work, we can understand how that kind of leap is actually not only justifiable, the leap is expected. Okay? Let's take a look at Isaiah chapter 6, verses 8 to 10, because this is another instruction that is given to Isaiah. This is an instruction that Isaiah responds to and does exactly what he's told. 
listen carefully to this instruction. Now, this instruction has nothing to do with Lucifer or anything like that. It's a very different kind of instruction, but it's something Isaiah is supposed to do. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. He said, Go, and tell this people, Keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull, their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. So those are the exact instructions given to Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah hears the instructions and he goes off and he does what God tells him to do. And you think, okay, that's the, what the prophecy is there for, right? Wrong. There's a bigger meaning to this. these words. It means something so much greater. So here's the thing about Old Testament prophecies that is really, really important. Old Testament prophecies are always given to a prophet to execute, to follow through on in their day, in the circumstances that they're dealing with. Yes. But those prophecies are also given to those prophets for the purpose of foretelling something bigger in the future. That's right. So every one of those prophecies had to be fulfilled in the day of the prophet, and it had to have a fulfillment later on. Now, how do we know this for sure? Well, with those instructions that were given to Isaiah that you just read from Isaiah 6, 8 to 10, this is a great way to figure that out, because if we look at Matthew chapter 13, verses 13 to 15, what we're going to see is Jesus himself taking those exact instructions and fulfilling them. So yes. let, let, let's, look at, 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 let's look at Jesus' words with that. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, With their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. So so Jesus does several things here. First of all, he quotes what Isaiah said. Yes. So he's got it in his mind, he quotes it, and he begins and he says, I speak to them in parables because, and he gives the reasons, you know, they're not going to understand. And then he says, in their case... The prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled. There's the secondary understanding of this prophecy. And like you said, the secondary understanding is the bigger understanding. Yes, absolutely. Because what Isaiah was given to do had to do with the people at his time. What Jesus fulfilled this prophecy with has to do with all people in the world in relation to the gospel afterwards. Yes. Much, much bigger application. So when you look at Old Testament prophecies, it is expected that we see them be fulfilled in the time and in the way that the prophet was instructed, and is expected that we look at that prophecy and say, there's got to be a bigger meaning. There's got to be a double meaning. Absolutely. Because God works that way. He tells us what we need to know, and we're allowed to figure it out when it's time to figure it out. So with promise, prophecy, there's almost always a double meaning. And that's why we look at this and we see it as, as a prophecy directly related to Lucifer, the morning star. And that's where we started the program.
So let's get back to the Isaiah 14 verses now. We read verse uh, 12, the beginning of verse 12. So let's read the end of verse 12 and then 13 through 15 as well. You have been cut down to the earth. You have, been, you have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. Okay, so this section of verses we've established in verse, the beginning of verse 12, how you have fallen from heaven, O, o Lucifer, O star of the morning. Okay, we're looking at that saying, okay, here's, it, here it's alerting us to Satan or Lucifer's fall from heaven. And it started in his mind, right. didn't it? Right, because it says, you said in your heart. So all of these things were happening on the inside and not necessarily being shown on the outside. This is how all sin works. And if you walk away with nothing else from this evening, walk away with the idea that when you entertain the thought in your heart and your mind and you give it strength, and it's a dark thought, and it's a godless thought. Only darkness and evil will eventually come from it. Oh, that's that, and, and we'll see that. Sometimes it takes a long time for darkness and evil to actually rear their ugly heads. Sure, sure. But that, and Satan is the perfect example of that. So, um, Jesus elsewhere. Before we get back to really trying to understand what that that Isaiah scripture just said, because we want to take it apart in, in detail. Jesus elsewhere alludes to the imagery uh, in Isaiah, uh, in Luke uh, 10:18. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Okay, so he said, I witnessed this. Okay, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And so it's like something happened and he was cast out. He was cast out of God's favor. Well, what happened was it started with the thoughts it started with, you have said in your heart. It always begins in the heart, Rick, when we entertain dark thoughts. Never without exception. It always, it, you know, sometimes, Jonathan, things happen in our minds. And, you know, in your mind is one thing. You, you have a thought. Because you can push things out right. when they enter in. Right. But if you let it go from your mind to your heart. Oh, trouble. Because in your heart is where you begin to own the thoughts. Mm -hmm. You're right. And that is the imagery that's being shown to us. Satan owned the thoughts that he said. And he said, you have said in your heart, the first thing was, I will, send, I will ascend into the heavens. Well, Rick, he was already arranged to be God's earthly representative. And We're going to talk more on that in the second hour. Though. Right, right. There's a scripture that really tells us that, that he was already given a great assignment to be the spiritual representative to the, to, to the earthly creation. He was given that responsibility, but it says, I will ascend into the heavens. Now, you know, he was already up in the heavens, so he was looking to ascend even higher than his station. Wow. And, and again, he said that not just as a thought in his head, but in his heart. He owned that desire. That's selfishness. It is. It is. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Rick, he was already one of the stars of God. So he, is, he was a morning star. So this prophecy is giving us a perspective on what was happening. He was saying, I've been given this early 
beautiful, magnificent, creative position, but it's not enough. I want to ascend higher than I was created to be. I want more. I want to do it my way. And it's not just the thought. It was the ownership of his heart that brought him there. And next it says, I will, sit, um, I, will, I will sit in the mount of the congregation in the uttermost parts of the north. And Rick, that's where God abides. So, it's, you know, I don't think that God is necessarily territorial in the way we, we normally look at it. But he's, he's, he's trying to ascend into a place he just doesn't belong. Not without the permission of the Almighty. In his heart he's saying... I want to be, I want to I move God aside. I, I, there's room there for me too. That's essentially what he's saying. And then he goes and he says, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, above, uh, above the heights of the clouds. What, what, what is that? And, and that's above the influence of God's presence with man. The heights of the clouds kind of indicates within the, sort of within the atmosphere of, of the earth. And, and remember, Satan was given the responsibility to work Beneath the clouds. That's right. And we're going to see that in the second hour. Okay? But he's saying, I want to ascend above where God put me. So his personal desire is warping his sense of loyalty. And that's where sin enters. When our sense of loyalty becomes warped away from God Almighty and toward our own desires. So he wants a promotion. He wants to promote himself more than what his job description was for. He wants (laughs) self-promotion. That's exactly what he wants. And he says, I will make myself like the Most High. Well, Rick, that's not replacing, but it's re, re, um, rivaling. rivaling the Most High. I will make myself like the Most High. I'm not asking God's permission for this promotion. I am self-promoting because God has given me, and again, we'll see this in the second hour, so folks, you've got to stay with us for the second hour on this. We, we will see the, that, that he saw what he was given. And he focused on the gift that he was given far more than he focused on the one who gave it to him. And as a result, he lost it. He lost his perspective. See, Lucifer was looking for dominion. He was looking for power and authority. He was looking to usurp the rights of his creator, who he once honored uh, to represent, he was honored to represent and work for. This sounds like a familiar story, Rick. Uh, History shows us, especially in the days of kings, how their sons, the heirs, wanted the power and wealth and prestige before, before it was due them. And they would do terrible things to replace their father's thrones with themselves. And oftentimes, you know, you, know, you think of the phrase, yeah, they, they would stab him in the back. Yeah. And, that, that's, and sometimes that was literally what would happen. Exactly. And, and that implies that you are trying to sabotage something without being seen. And that's exactly what happened in the heart of Satan. He owned the desire to be higher than the incredible glory and honor and position that he himself was given. It really is an amazing thing to see how this all begins to, uh, to, to pan out here. So folks, as we end this segment, as we end this hour, we've laid out that Lucifer was mighty and glorious and beautiful and wise and powerful and in perfect harmony with God. Something happened when he was given the ability to see what his responsibilities would be. He took that, what he would see, and we'll we'll deal with that in the second hour, and he misused it in his own heart and mind, and that would eventually lead to the next step in sin. And again, we'll get back to that in the second hour. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions... The question for tonight is, 
who is Satan. We understand it and we can learn how to live our lives so much better. We'll be back soon, but till then, think about it. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. You're tuned into Christian Questions. Join the conversation now on air or online at ChristianQuestions.com and download our app by searching for Christian Questions Radio. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Dennis Prager once said, If there is no God, the labels good and evil are merely opinions. They are substitutes for I like it and I don't like it. They are not objective realities. Good evening, welcome back, I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And Jonathan, we've got an important and fascinating subject on the table this evening. We really do, Rick, and our question this evening is, who is Satan? And our theme text is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So, Jonathan, this evening we're talking about Satan. We're talking about the devil. But we're looking at the origin of Satan, the devil, and his origin actually was a glorious origin. It really was. It was, it was grand. It was beautiful. Uh, let's sum up some of the points from the, the, the first hour um, just before we, we begin to continue this discussion. Well, Rick, Satan, as Lucifer, was an early and bright and powerful, harmonious creation of God. Okay. He was one of two morning stars that we know of. So he's right. bright, he's powerful, he's harmonious, he's one of these two morning stars. And, you know, it's interesting, there's only two of them mentioned in Scripture. So that gives you a sense of how special they must have been. Yes. Okay, so... For sure. So, and again, the idea of mourning is an, like an early creation. And again, you know, it, it's, it, the, the implication, I think, would be the earlier the creation, the closer you are to the Almighty. That's right. And what a privileged place to be. What else? Well, his fall began in his mind. Perhaps once he learned the details of God's orderly arrangement for the earth. So, the scriptures tell us that he said, in, and I, you know, we wrote down on our notes in his mind, but it really says it, it started in his heart. Yep. And when you let a thought go from your mind to your heart, what you've done is you've taken ownership of that thought. You let it grab a hold of you. And in God's wisdom, God knew what would happen. He permitted it and provided a solution in advance. And, and that's the beautiful thing. It says that God foreknew, even before the foundation of the world, even before we believe Satan turned evil, he knew it was going to happen. And he, in his mind, he didn't tell anybody, but in his mind, he already had the solution for the problem. So it's really kind of cool to see how the, the, the glory of the beginning and then, you know, it's very tragic to see the downfall as it begins to gather momentum. And, uh, Jonathan, what is the fifth clue to this uh, conversation here uh, this evening? 
Well, Rick, Satan's pre-Satanic fall was a growing, festering, and deadly series of actions. Remember, the previous clue was that it was a growing, festering, deadly series of thoughts. When thoughts become actions, then they have taken deep root. They have become relevant in your heart to the point where you act on them. And now that's something that's really hard to take away. That's really hard to take out. Let's go back to uh, the SBS Australia documentary on the history of the devil. Uh, again, they say some things that we look at and say, yeah, this is, this is important. We, we, you know, this is good. Some things that we may not agree with, but you know, it's all good because we're just trying to get other perspectives on the origin of Satan. The Satan who makes Job's life a misery isn't a demon or even a bad angel. And he doesn't live in hell. There wasn't any kind of concept of a hell like we have, you know, it's a place of fiery torment and torture. In fact, to the ancient Israelites, what happened when you died was really very little. You went to a place called Sheol, and this was just a sort of dark, shadowy place, a sort of underworld, where everybody who died went, irrespective of whether you were good or bad. So Jonathan, in that, uh, in that soundbite, you know, it talks about uh, Satan wasn't bad. Well, yeah, we think he was. Because <laughs> yeah, he sinned prior to that. Right. But it says, but, and he didn't live in hell. And they're right about that. They're right about that. And that's part of the imagery that we have in our world that just throws everything off. It's just so inaccurate. And it gives you such a, a what it does is, is it categorizes Satan as so dark and hideous looking that you wouldn't want any part of him. The the real truth is that Satan, actually, we know the scriptures say, poses an angel of light. It's beautiful. Right. So he doesn't look bad at all. As a no. matter of fact, he looks pretty good. And that's one of the problems with this whole situation. So, Jonathan, his thoughts, which took root in his heart, led to actions. And we believe the following scriptures clearly are symbolic of Satan, just like the Isaiah scriptures were. Okay, now this text reveals much of Lucifer's role in Eden, in the Garden of Eden, and what went wrong as a result of that role. And again, these scriptures are talking about somebody else, and you have to apply the same principle to the Ezekiel scriptures, that you may be talking about an individual in those times, but because he was a prophet, that the words he spoke carried a double meaning, the second meaning being the higher and more accurate meaning, because God is sending messages that way. So let's go to Ezekiel 28, 11 to 17. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, take up lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, you had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Okay, talks about the king of Tyre. And we believe the prophecy is pointing to Lucifer. Right. And we'll see why in just a few minutes, because it becomes very obvious that it's not really speaking about the king of Tyre. And th this one is actually easier to figure out uh, in some ways, even in the Isaiah scripture. But um, here's the thing. You know, you've got, uh, well, first of all, let's go to a commentary from McGee on just the, the appearance of Satan. Satan is a created being. He was created perfect in beauty. If you think of Satan as a creature with horns or a forked tail and cloven feet, you're wrong. You've been reading the literature of the Middle Ages, which has its origin in Greek mythology that goes back into Asia Minor. All right, so he's saying, throw that stuff away, it's trash. 
because it misleads you to what Satan looks like, what Satan feels like. And so you've got to be really, really, really careful. You know, Jonathan, we got a, a chat comment in that I want to weave into our, our conversation. And it says, do you think Satan is somewhat or perhaps hugely insane by now? <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, only a madman would continue when he knows he's lost or he can't recognize truth. So, you know, has Satan gone insane by now? And that's a good question. That is. Because you think, all right, it's been thousands of years already. Don't you get the point? You can't win. So why would somebody be going down that road and, and having that kind of thought? So we're going we're gonna to pick that question up and, and as we go through this because I don't know that we can say that Satan has gone insane, but Satan is locked in to something very specific. And I think that's the thing we have to look at, and we can draw some analogies with that as we go through the program. So um, let, let's go back to the Ezekiel scripture, the Ezekiel 28, 11 to 17 scripture. Uh, again, it says, you had, this, you had the seal of perfection. You were full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. And, you know, and Jonathan, that, what does that show us? It shows us that God didn't make a mistake, right? No, he didn't. He says you... He had, was created perfect. Right. Full of wisdom, yep. perfect in beauty. He wasn't flawed when he was created, Lucifer. And, and that's an important point. And so you can say, okay, but wait, how does somebody who's not flawed end up so bad? And the answer is, when you have the ability to think for yourself, you can take the goodness that you are presented with, and you have choices as to what to do with it. Now, we don't know how long Satan existed as Lucifer, and we don't know what kinds of things he was exposed to, but we know that he was great and glorious and high and mighty in all of the creation of God. And he was given a special responsibility, which we will now um, uh, take a look at. Uh, Ezekiel 28, verses 13 and 14. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were the anointed cherub who covers, and I placed you there. Okay, so first of all, it says you were in Eden, the garden of God. That's a pretty clear description. There's really only one place you can say that refers to. <laughs> the Garden of Eden. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Every precious stone was your covering. You know, it's a little bit hard to, to, to figure out what, what, that might, uh, what that might mean, except that you were laden in goodness and the wonder of God's creative ability. You were a great representative of the wondrous uh, creative ability of God. So it really um, is is quite a uh, um, quite quite a a picture of of what was represented here, and he says, "You were the anointed cherub who covers." So to be the anointed cherub who covers, God gave him that responsibility. That to take care of the garden, to protect it, right, to keep it moving, working. So he had responsibility directly yes. with humanity. He was given wow. this incredible privilege. And God finally says in this verse, and I placed you there. God gave the privilege of oversight to this physical creation to one of the highest and most respected beings in all of his creation, and his name was Lucifer. Jonathan, let's go to the phones. We have Julius from Connecticut on the line. Good evening, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Good evening. Thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. Uh, it was a tough decision, you know. Uh, should I do dishes or call you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, a direct uh, answer.
answer to your question, who is the devil, who is Satan? Uh, I, I'm not sure, you know, I cannot listen every moment to your program, so I'm not sure if you quoted John 8:44 somewhere along the line. Go ahead. But anyway, our Lord Jesus answers that question. He says he was a murderer from the beginning, and he is the father of lies. The John Gospel 8:44. Uh, you know, there's a, a Matthew 6:23 says something to the effect, "If the light that is in thee become darkness, how great is that darkness?" Uh, to me, that, that has pretty uh, direct application to him, even though the context doesn't necessarily uh, indicate so. But I think it's, uh, that applies to to the devil himself. Now, it's interesting, you know. I think you mentioned uh, in Sunday's program that uh, he is given the name by the translators. So he has no name. The name is deduced. So uh, uh, he has no name, no future. The only creature whose annihilation is guaranteed. And that's in Revelation chapter 20. Remember the second death picture there? Yes. Okay, the lake of fire and so forth. Now, there are other, you know, debatable whether uh, Judas will return, Ananias and Sapphira, and some of these folks. But I, I think we all agree that the devil will be destroyed. So anyhow, uh, thank you for your time. Thank you for the study. And God bless. Thank you, Julius. We appreciate your call. You're welcome. Take care. Good night. Good night. So, Jonathan, as we, um, you know, as we go through... Your caller hung up. Goodbye. Thank, thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> Skype is so helpful. <laughs> um, as we, uh, uh, you know, take that into consideration, he's right. Satan is due for destruction. Not yet, but soon enough. It's going to happen because he has gone so far down this road that he is not recoverable. What makes him not recoverable... Let's take a look at the, the greatness that he was given. See, because, Jonathan, when you're given such incredible goodness and privilege and honor and respect uh, and trust, when you begin to violate that and you go further and further away from that, the further you go, the less recoverable you become until it, you're at the point of no return. Now, is that insanity? Not necessarily. It's locked into truly believing that your way can work. And think about humans who do that and get all messed up in their heads. So, um, Julius, thanks for the call. We appreciate it. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255. Let's continue with the Ezekiel 28 scripture. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. I mean, you were on the holy mountain of God. Think about this. Mountains are pictures of governments in Scripture. So you were part of the government of God. And we know that because he was given the responsibility in Eden to oversee, to cover. To cover it, to protect it. So you walked in the midst of the stones of fire. I'm not quite sure what that means. Perhaps it represents the brilliance of the jewels of God's creativity even before the uh, earth was formed. And it says you were blameless in your ways. You did everything exactly right and blameless, meaning not only what you did, but in your heart. 
You were good until, until unrighteousness was found in you. And that unrighteousness came to be. Um, when, well, let's actually read the next part of the verse, and that will begin to help us understand what, where this unrighteousness comes from. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence, and you sinned. Perhaps this is saying that Lucifer did not keep the power and honor of his position within the heavenly host in a God-fearing way, but focused on what he was given rather than who gave it to him. He focused on taking the gift of God to govern, to oversee, and say, I can do this. God gave it to me, and not only can I do this, but I know how to do this my way. How sad. That's total selfishness. And, and, see, and there can be some subtlety there. A little subtlety in that, but what ends up happening is with the subtlety comes the fall. Because you are, you are now just veering off the path of godliness by saying, instead of saying, dear God, how is it that I am supposed to do this? You say, okay, I've got this. Instead of relying on the Father's will and the Father's way. And that's where it begins. So as a result of this taking root inside of his heart, what does the verse say next? Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God, and I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. So you had so much, and that is why you began to fall. Because you had, and Solomon, that's a great example of Solomon. Remember, he prayed for wisdom, and mm. he was given wisdom and so much. And, uh, you know, Jonathan, it looks like he stopped praying for wisdom. Yeah. And hey, uh, what about teenagers? And they look <laughs> at their parents like, hey, I know, I know this better than you do. I'm going to do it my way, yeah. not your way. Yeah. You can see that there was this rebelliousness yeah. taking place. And so, you know, it says you were cast as profane. You know, profane means to wound, to dissolve. You were dissolving God's plans. What a contrast between what Lucifer was given and what Lucifer chose to do with what he was given. He was given authority, beauty, wisdom, splendor, and privilege. He chose to take credit for all of it and then demand even more. And that's where he fell. And that fall could have been subtle at the beginning, but the bottom line is that subtly, subtlety turned into something very dramatic, very damaging, and eventually turns to death. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject, Who is Satan? Coming up, now that we know who Satan is, what does he do? That's next. Listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today Who is Satan? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866 985 4255. That's 866 985 for all, or you can message us on your app. And don't forget to go to our website, ChristianQuestions.com, and sign up for CQ Rewind, the full edition. 
All right. So as we continue our conversation and we look into the to the fall of Satan, we we know Jonathan started in his heart, and that that heart, those heart thoughts that he took ownership of, they 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 took root. And you know, we're not even talking about his actions in the Garden of Eden. We haven't even touched on that. We're not even going to do that tonight. Right, right. And you can see how in his actions, in his saying, God said this, but he knows that this is going to be the result, not that. He tells half-truths, and he lies, and because he is looking to take it his way. You know, because he sees the ingredients for life in the Garden. And he's thinking, okay, the ingredients are here. I can get these folks to learn about good and evil, I can, I can govern it. I can take care of it. I can do it my way. But God had obedience as part of the, a main part of the plan. Rick, what I think, it's just amazing that the Lord revealed these truths to us through prophecy. So we really had a, a real understanding of how sin entered, uh, first in the heavenly realm and then in the earthly realm. So, wow, it, now we know what to avoid and how to avoid it. Yeah, yeah, it really is a great, great lesson, a life lesson for all of us. Let's go back to the uh, the history of the devil from SBS Australia's uh, documentary uh, tradition uh, a lot, and it talks about in this particular soundbite a lot of the traditions of Satan are actually uh, not from the Bible, and we agree with that. So where is the Satan we know? Where's the fiend who's eternally at war with the forces of good? The monster who rules over the flames of hell and punishes sinners. Where is the fallen angel with his legions of demon helpers, tempting humans to do evil things so that he can win their souls? If the traditional devil doesn't come from the Jewish Old Testament, where does he come from? Good question. And the answer is... Because he doesn't come from Scripture, we really need to be wary of all of the representations of what Satan is and understand that Satan is much more devious because he's much more beautiful, much wiser, much more powerful, and much more attractive. So those are the things. And, and you know, we know that also because when he, he went and tempted Jesus. That's right. You know, Satan wanted power. And, you know, is he, you know, going back to the question, is he insane? No, he's locked into the idea that I can do it my way. And he has had a lot of success along the way. He's had a lot of failure, too. But when you are so locked in, you don't look at the failure. You just look at, see, I've got this and I've got this. And he's got some of his followers that followed him in a sinful way and made him God to them. And he's got much of the world that follows him in his sinful way and makes him God to them. So he's looking at saying, I can do this. I can overcome. I can defeat God in this planet. God gave me the dominion. I can take it and run with it. And he he, he usurped it. He didn't give him the dominion. <laughs> well, but God did give him power and authority. That's right. He did give him power and authority and he and over right. the garden of Eden. Right. But it was over mankind and Satan took it, used it and then abused it, and then wrenched it from God. You're right. There's an absolute usurpation there. When he went to tempt Jesus in the wilderness, right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, you know, it's interesting because each of the three temptations represents Satan differently. So let, let's look at those, because when we see how he tempted Jesus, we begin to understand what it is that he actually does. Let's go to Matthew 4, uh, verses 1 through 10. Let's take 1 to 3 to start. 
Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Okay, so he, it says he went to be tempted by the devil. And after and Jesus was fasting these forty days and forty nights. And it says, And the tempter came to him. So it's giving, it's talking about Satan by describing a particular characteristic, calling him the tempter. What does it mean to be the tempter? Uh, it means in the Greek to test, that is entice. All right. So, and this, look, this would have been a, a, a good test. It would have been a good enticement. You're hungry. Feed your body. It needs food. It's only logical. I'm not trying to imitate Mr. Spock either. But, you know, th th there's a logic to Satan's enticements. He enticed Jesus to do something helpful to his body, something that was needful, something that just simply made sense. So what was Jesus' answer to him? It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So the interesting thing is that Jesus... Now remember, Jesus had an existence beforehand. Jesus knew Satan when he was Lucifer, this bright it, morning star. He described himself as the bright morning star, right. Jesus, right. Uh, Lucifer, the morning star. So he knew him. He doesn't engage Lucifer or Satan, the tempter at this point, into a conversation or a debate. No, he doesn't. He simply says, I'm not here for the food I'm here to do the will of God. And that's powerful because that's exactly what Satan wasn't here to do. So Jesus' answer to him is through Scripture that actually not only shows what Jesus came for, it shows what Satan didn't fulfill, the, the, the word of God. So now Satan doesn't stop there. No, he doesn't. So let's continue in the verses. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him sit on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So now it talks about Satan as the devil. It says, Then the devil took him into the holy city. That word for devil means a traducer. Introducing. I mean, I mean, what does traducer mean? That's not a word that we use. Well, Webster says to expose to shame or blame by means of falsehood and misrepresentation. So by you, 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 you expose to shame or blame by misrepresentation. So Jesus response to Satan, to the tempter was to quote scripture, to put things in perspective. Yeah, but Satan used the same technique right back at him. Right, right. And that's, and he took a scripture, he took a good scripture, it was a, yeah. from Psalm 91, I think it was, and he misrepresented the meaning of the scripture. But he quotes the scripture, and it looks good, and it sounds good, and it sounds right. He says, How crafty. <laughs> yes, it is. And, 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 you know, and that's why, by misrepresentation. And again, that shows what he did in the garden. He misrepresented the commands of God. And he put truth with lie and mixed them together so, so perfectly that it was, it, 
the, the results are very, very obvious. So Satan introduces, he misrepresents. He sought to expose a weakness of pride in Jesus by misquoting scripture. He was looking, and Jonathan, you know what I think? I think the same thing. Satan knew of his own weakness of pride. He knew of the sense of, I've been given great power and great responsibility. I want to do it my way. He knew what that felt like. So when he gives this temptation to Jesus, he might be, and again, this is a perhaps, he might be thinking, I know what that feels like. I'll bet he can identify with the same thing. I can trip him up and get him to go down the same road that I went down. That makes sense. So he uses this scripture in a very crafty way. Perhaps he assumes that Jesus thinks that in his, in his same way, and perhaps he's expecting the same kind of results. But what he gets is the same kind of result from the other perspective, and it is the pure, unadulterated loyalty to God's will. What, what Jesus, did Jesus respond? Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So Jesus, again, does not engage Satan in a debate. He doesn't say, well, look, let's go back to that psalm, shall we? Let's look at the context. And are you really <laughs> taking it in the proper way? He just says, no, I'm going, you don't, you, you know better. And that's the thing. He did know better. You know better than to try to put God to the test. Who do you think you are putting God to the test? So not only is he answering the, the temptation that is being given to Jesus, but Jesus, in his answer, is also showing the traducer how wrong he is in his own approach. Folks, we're talking about Satan and his pathway from glory and honor and goodness and beauty and wisdom down to a self-will that led to darkness and evil. If you have a thought, we'd love to hear from you at 866-985-4255. Toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Monday evenings from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. Christian Questions, a voice of reason in a world that's lost its way. Keep in touch at ChristianQuestions.com. So, so Jonathan, I want to go back to that, uh, that question um, that was posed uh, on the, uh, the chat board uh, relating to, you know, has Satan gone insane? And again, when you lock on to something and you see it your way, it's not necessarily insanity. It's that, it's that, it's that lockdown focus that says, I have got this thing covered and I can see an end result. And Satan chose not to look above. And that's sin especially when you are created as high and mighty as he was. When you are part of the government of God, you are privy to the will of God in ways that others aren't. You know the master. You know the, 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 the masterful wisdom and creativity and foresight of God Almighty. And he had experienced it for, I don't know, millions of years probably. So is there an excuse for him to have, have gone a different way? No except that he took the power and glory and goodness that was given to him, and he said, I can do this on my own. I am that powerful. And Rick, he's not going to let go, because what would he look like if he failed? He is going to hold on to it until God Almighty takes it from him. Right, and, you know, and, that, and that's the other part of this tragedy, is he, when, when you lock on to this thing, 
you, you just don't don't let go, and you go down fighting. Yeah, exactly. And and look, look at humanity, and look at those of us who end up going down that kind of path. And you know, we we will go go to our graves. You and know, pride has a lot to do with that. It, it certainly does. So we've gone through two of the temptations, Jonathan. Let's get to the last temptation again. We're in Matthew chapter four, and now we're in verses eight through through uh, eight through nine. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and said to him, All these things I shall give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan. Okay, so uh, so Satan doesn't quit and he takes Jesus to this very high mountain and he shows him the kingdoms of the world and he shows him the glory of the kingdoms of the world. And, you know, there is a certain glory to them because it's humanity operating it is the creation of god and even though it's in a very very imperfect state there's still that wonder of life that ability to make choices uh, to be and to do and, and to have that free moral agency and he shows all of that to to jesus and said look i know this is what you came for i'll let you have it all you have to do is bow down to me and rick that word satan means the accuser okay so he was the tempter he was the traducer, and now he is the accuser. And he's saying, I will give you these things. Just bow down to me. So he's accusing Jesus of being weak, of being able to be manipulated from what he came to do. And he's saying, I've got control. I can give it to you if you only want it. And Jesus' response was, go, Satan. In other words, go away. You bother me. You know, in a, in a very, very powerful way. Let's finish that up. And you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He reminds him again in scripture what humanity was instructed to do. Because what humanity was instructed to do is also what the spiritual host, all of the spiritual sons of God were instructed to do. Serve God and him only. But they were also given the ability to choose. And by taking that ability to choose, they could therefore warp the goodness that was given to them and change it to be what they wanted. And that's exactly what happened uh, to Satan. That's what he did. He knew what he was doing and he did it anyway because he saw his power as too great. And that's a very unfortunate thing. It wasn't seen as a gift. Another word that describes Satan is the word adversary, Rick, which in the Greek means he's an opponent. All right, so he is our opponent. Let's take a look at 1 Peter 5, 6-9, to because when you see how Satan is described, you know what he does, and now we know how to be on guard against it. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be of a sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. So this is a great scripture, Jonathan, because it's telling us that the devil is our adversary. Yes. He is our, our opponent. Right. He's the one we are standing against. And, he's, and it says he prowls, prowl, prowls around like a roaring lion. He's looking for somebody to devour. And the thing, you've you got to think about, well, what does it mean that he wants to devour you? He's not going to literally eat you up and kill you. But what he's going to do is he's going to devour your desire to serve God and God only and replace that 
with a desire to serve him. So he's targeting footstep followers of Jesus to prevent them from being faithful to God above. Because by preventing them, he can try and prevent the will and plan of God from being fulfilled. So of course he's going to go after them. We are not alone in our battle. That's what the scripture says. We are working together, fighting for and protecting one another. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject, Who is Satan? Coming up, just how deep is Satan's corruption and how can we be protected from it? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject today, who is Satan? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or you can message us on your app. So, Jonathan, as we get to our final segment here, we've looked at the, the dramatic uh, glory of Lucifer, the fall of Lucifer, first in his heart, then in his actions, uh, and now as he now tries to take others with him in this fall, in this pathway that is a self-serving pathway that usurps the authority of God. And that, look, any time we begin to act outside of the will of God, the end result of it ultimately will be sin, and, and that is what sin is, but it will be darkness and eventually death. That's so, right. So all of that has got to be taken out of our lives and our world. And how do you do that? You do it one small step at a time. And remember, the will of God for us is very expansive. It's not like you have to walk this little tightrope of a line. He gives us the ability to make lots and lots of our own choices in that, as long as they're in harmony with his will. It really is a beautiful way to live. Satan, though, gets in the way. He just is in the way, face the fact, that's what he is. <laughs> Let's go to uh, an, another soundbite. This is, again, from SBS Australia's um, documentary, The History of the Devil. And this is about an individual who lived about 600 B.C. Uh, by the name of Zoroaster, who is given, actually, a lot of credit, if you will, for kind of the creation of the being Satan. It's kind of an interesting perspective. Let's listen. So where did people first get the idea of an ultimate evil being? Three and a half thousand years ago, in ancient Persia, where Syria, Iraq, and Iran are now, there were many gods, good and evil, until one man, a religious teacher called Zoroaster, reduced the whole complicated cast of characters to two. Zoroaster is a revolutionary, primarily because he, in one sense, personifies these ethical categories into a good god, Ahura Mazda, and a bad god, Ahriman. And this is an extremely potent idea and one which forms the basis for later conceptions of dualistic thought. In other words, the separation between good and evil. So it's interesting that a lot of uh, people looking at history say, well, yeah, this guy Zoroaster was really sort of the founder of an individual Satan. Well, no, he wasn't the founder. He may have put some things together in that particular culture. But we can see this develop very clearly through biblical prophecy. 
Yes, absolutely. And it, the, the story is clear if you look and try to understand biblical prophecy. So, folks, if you have a thought, now would be the time. It's 866-985-4255, toll-free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Monday evenings from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. Christian Questions, a weekly habit that's good for you. Thanks for tuning us in every Monday evening. Join our conversation any day and time at ChristianQuestions.com. So, and, and Jonathan, we have more information on Zoroaster in the bonus material of CQ Rewind. So, folks, if you don't have CQ Rewind, the full edition, I don't know what you're waiting for. It's free. It's free. It's a great, great tool for Bible study, especially with a subject like this. We put the prophecies on paper. You can see them. You can follow the reasoning and, and judge for yourself. Uh, use it as a tool to try to f- figure out the, the scriptures. Use it as a tool. Again, a free service. So let's continue, Jonathan, with our discussion on the names and descriptions for Satan. Because the more you see him described, the more you know what to look out for. And he is also described, on top of the things that we talked about with the temptations of Jesus and as our adversary or opponent, he's described as, and Ju- Julius mentioned this, I think, the father of lies and a murderer, John eight forty four. You are from your father, the devil, and you chose to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks according to his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So those are the words of Jesus, and he is talking to the, the Pharisees, and he's saying, look, you're following, you're following satanic thinking and that's a pretty serious thing oh it is so and and he, he's describing satan as the father father of lies and a murderer because he's responsible for death coming to humanity and so you you look at that and you say this is this is the opponent this is the darkness this is the evil that we need to stay far far away from so we see him as the father of lies and a murderer. And, you know, the first lie in Scripture was told by Satan. Yes, it was. Thou shalt not surely die. Well, they did. <laughs> yes, they did. We are. <laughs> you know, and the interesting thing is the first lie in Scripture was also committed by Satan long before that. Because he said, I will be like the Most High. Oh, So yes. the first lie was actually in Satan's own heart in oh, speaking to himself. So he is the father of lies, both in the spiritual realm mm. as well as in the, the physical earthly realm. Now, there's, uh, there's three other descriptions that we want to touch on before we wrap up this evening uh, and, uh, of, of Satan. And these three descriptions are actually very clearly related to one another. First, Jesus himself, in John 12:31 and 32, Jesus calls Satan the ruler of this world. Is that amazing, huh? Yeah, yeah. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So it's kind of interesting because a lot of times Christians look at Satan and God uh, almost like they're in a tug of war. Mm-hmm. Like, they're, right. like they're wrestling for, for control of the world. They're wrestling for souls. Who's going to get this soul? Who's going to get that soul? It's not the way it is at all. Not at all, no. And Jesus, in that description of Satan, lets us know that. He simply says, the ruler of this world will be driven out. And that's that, this present evil world. Right. Sin and suffering and death. Right. And remember, the word for world is that world for the, the ruler of this 
uh, arrangements, mm-hmm. okay, the, the governmental type arrangement, God allows Satan to cover the world. Just like he allowed him to do it in Eden, he continues to allow that to happen. Just the way God gave dominion to man in, in, in the garden. Mm-hmm. When man sinned, he didn't take the dominion away. He just let him abuse it. Because we needed to learn what the wrong things were. Because this is an eternal lesson. Right, right. And, uh, for a moment. And, you know, you, you, made the, you brought the illustration out earlier in the program about a, a good father sometimes sees his child getting ready to go down a wrong path. And sometimes the father is going to stand back and let it happen so the lesson can be learned. And, you know, the father is there to catch him if he's going to fall too far, but he's yep. going to let him fall. And when a child falls, that's the only time he can learn to get up. And so with Satan, the unfortunate thing is his fall was so high and so mighty and so powerful that he ignored any goodness that God would have shown him and just kept going further and further down the path because he was so sure of himself. And when we become so sure of ourselves, we become less sure of God. And you, you can't have both. You've got to be sure of yourself within the context of the will of God. So Satan is the ruler of this world, and Jesus says it unequivocally, the ruler of this world will be driven out. Just give it time. Yep. Satan is also called the God of this world. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world... And the word, has, that, that word for world actually is different. That word for world is actually the God of this age. Okay, so the God ahead. of this age... Yes. ...has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So what, and this is a scripture actually of great hope, because you think about it and you're saying, whoa, you're talking about Satan and that's a scripture of hope? You just call him the God of this age and that's a scripture of hope? Yes, it is. Because an age, generally speaking, has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And an end. So if Satan is the ruler of this age, the God, the mighty one of this age, he's the mighty one of a terminal period of time. And when the end of that period of time is up, the lease is not renewed. No. He's then evicted. He's then tossed out. And like Julia said earlier in the program, he is going to be utterly destroyed. Not tormented, not tortured, but destroyed. Taken away because he has forfeited his right to life by living this, this, this lifetime of being contrary to the will of his own creator. And that's really what it comes down to. So Rick, he's also called the prince of the power of the air. And that's, that's an, uh, an interesting uh, uh, description as well on top of the ruler of this world and the God of this world. So let's go to that scripture, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 and 2. And you hath he quickened, and were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So now in Ephesians, these were, remember the, 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 the Christian church in Ephesus was largely made up of, of people who were, were pagan beforehand. Yeah, Gentiles right. mainly. Yes. Right. So the apostle is writing to them and he says, you he hath quickened, he has, he has given life to. 
You were dead in your trespasses and sins because you didn't know God. You didn't want to know God. You had all of your different idols and you were content with all of that stuff. In times past, you, you walked according to the course of this arrangement that is under the God of this world, the ruler of this world, Satan, according to the prince of the power of the air. So it gives another description of Satan and his ability to, to dominate the environment that we're in. And, and, you know, when you think of that, 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 Jonathan, you know, one of the things that people worry about now, you know, in, in this age, we've got all kinds of worries. You know, there's terrorism and all these things. One of the things that people worry about is airborne diseases. Mm-hmm. You know, when you make sure. you make a, a biological agent airborne, what that means is you release it and it can go anywhere and everywhere. And it permeates and it can contaminate. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He can permeate and contaminate pretty much at will unless you find a way to stand up against it. That's scary. And this really contradicts the the false concept of hellfire where he's in the center of the earth and doing terrible things to souls. He is watching over humankind and shaping it and molding it his way. He's active, working, directing governments. This is showing what he's doing. Yeah, and and he has the ability to permeate and destroy. So when we look at Satan and we kind of back up and, and look at the whole picture, he has gone from being mighty and privileged and wise to being, as far as we know, the greatest defector from the grace of God and the benevolence of God and all of God's creation. There is no longer any good thing in him, for he has taken all that was good and he's polluted it with godless ego and darkness. His power, his drive, his intelligence can and will only eventually lead to death. That Just, reminds me of Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. And that scripture, while it's written for the human race, it has in principle a powerful lesson for all of God's creations, both in the spiritual realm as well as the earthly realm. Yes. Very, very powerful lesson. So how do we protect ourselves against this very diabolical and difficult uh, project of avoiding Satan? Well, we have to protect ourselves. And in so doing, we can help protect one another as well. Let's look at, to wrap this up, let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. And this is the context and the armor of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. So, again, right there, you're, you're being given that instruction, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his night. It doesn't say be strong because you're powerful. No. And that's what Satan did, remember. You're right. Okay? It's saying be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Don't make the same mistake. Don't make the same poor choice that the adversary did. Put on the whole armor of God, not a parts of the armor, not the ones that feel most comfortable, not the ones that you like the look of, but put on the whole armor of God. Why? You'll be vulnerable if you don't. Right. Let's go to verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So we are fighting something that is bigger than us, stronger than us, more powerful than us, wiser than us, and can squash us easily. So we have to be armed. You, to, because it, unless we're armed, we will be destroyed. Can, let's continue. 
Therefore take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Notice he keeps repeating, put on the full armor, put on the full armor. Do you get the message? I did. All right, put on the full armor. Okay, let's go. What is this full armor? Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So we've got those pieces of armor that are discussed there, and these are these are these are pieces of armor that are that are just permanently attached to you. You can't take them off once you put them on because you're ready for battle. But these are the ones that protect your body uh, most closely. And in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And that's a big shield. And take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. All right, so that helmet of salvation covers your head. Cover your thoughts, because it's, that's where the evil can take root, and that's where evil can start. And finally, how does it end? With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. So what we end up here with, Jonathan, is, a, is an admonition to be covered with the armor of God, work together, realizing that our adversary is bigger than us, stronger than us, more powerful than us, more devious, and more, more uh, creative than we can even imagine. And it's because of those things that he is something to be afraid of. Now look, once we have the will of God and the armor of God, we don't have to fear Satan as long as our heart and mind is set on doing God's will in God's way through the tools that God gives us. It's really that simple. That takes away the fear and gives us the strength to not only stand but help others to stand against Satan as well. Folks, we hope you enjoyed being with us tonight. Uh, we will be back again next week with another subject. But until then, who is Satan? Satan is our adversary. He started out with great glory and ended up with, with, with sin and death. How did that happen? It was choices that he made. Make sure your choices are godly. Until next week, think about it.